Please turn in your Bibles to Isaiah 55. I have the passage on the insert. We have come to the last chapter of the second section of Isaiah. If you look at the book on the whole, it divides very nicely into three sections. Um, And we were reaching a climactic point with Isaiah 53 in the revelation of the finished work of Christ, Um, the basis for our being right with God. By trusting in that finished work, we are made right with God. It's Jesus' merit given to us. He pays for our sins, and the Father accepts us as his children. We're justified, and we are adopted, just as we read earlier from the Shorter Catechism. Um, This is a thoroughgoing biblical concept and teaching about the gospel. And we reach this climactic point in a book that was written 700 years before Christ came and fulfilled it. And so the Bible uh, builds off of this revelation of the finished work of Christ, and certainly the, the chapters right after it do the same. So what I will attempt to do is uh, preach through Isaiah 55 this week and next week. Then after that, uh, for the summer months, for 11 weeks, I'll be on a sabbatical from the pulpit and in basic pastoral ministry doing two things. I'll be teaching the first five weeks through a Reformation uh, trip and then at a seminary. And then I'm working on another course of study at Midwestern Baptist Seminary. I'm their token Presbyterian right now. At least it seems to be that way. Uh, But these brothers are strong in the gospel. And anyone who trusts in the finished work of Christ and preaches that message is the gospel as a friend of mine. And I've enjoyed my time of study there. And uh, we'll try to work on the bulk of that course of study for the second half of the summer. Also planning for next year. As you know, we are, uh, Lord willing, beginning a third service in Lee's Summit on Sunday nights when I come back. So that's what's coming forward. Now during the summer, we have um, Pastor Nathan and our very able licensed, you saw that word licentiate last, he's not licentious, but licentiate Aaron Suber. He is going to share a series through the Gospel of John on Jesus's I am statement. So if you want to prepare for the summer's preaching, read through the Gospel of John with your family. Read over and over through it, and you'll see there are eight different statements, and those two brothers will walk you through those, and a couple special guests along the way um, that will feed you well during the summer. I'll see you during the summer. I just won't be standing up here. I'll sit with my family when I'm here, which will be a blessing uh, that I don't get to partake in uh, very often. But we are at Isaiah 55, uh, nicely ending this section, and I'll take two sermons to walk through it. Now, if you look at the chapter, there are 13 verses. Verse 6 and verse 7 come to the the middle of it. It's like everything in the first five verses point down to verse 6 and 7, and then everything below it points back up to 6 and 7. And you'll see how that works. So I'll preach through the seventh verse today, and then we'll start back at 6 and finish to 13 next week. And you'll see why that makes sense, why these... Um, sections go together like they do, why they're constructed the way they are. It's really a call for God's people to come and believe on God's word afresh. Now, it's a call to anybody assembled here who doesn't know the gospel. Um, It is a call to you to come and partake in salvation by trusting in Christ, who had been revealed in just two chapters earlier. But it's also a call to those who have said that they believe, um, us, We're gathered here, and now we need to hear uh, the words of life. We need to be fed. Maybe we have been eating the wrong stuff spiritually, and we're a bit weak. And so this is for us to be strengthened again. 
um, strengthened by that which actually satisfies. And uh, satisfies not just our hunger, but the nutrition needs we have. Only God knows those. And so that's how these words are a focus for us to be refreshed, to be serious with God again as his children. Resting in Christ, now as his adopted sons and daughters, what should we do? How should we live? That's what Isaiah turns to now as we see these uh, important words. This is God's word. It's inspired, God breathes, so therefore it's inerrant. Because we can trust it completely, it is the authority for our lives. Please hear as I read verses 1 through 7 of Isaiah 55. Come, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. And he who has no money, come, buy, and eat. Come, buy wine and milk without money and without price. Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread and your labor for that which does not satisfy? Listen diligently to me and eat what is good and delight yourselves in rich food. Incline your ear and come to me here that your soul may live. And I will make with you an everlasting covenant my steadfast, sure love for David. Behold, I made him a witness to the people's a leader and commander for the peoples. Behold, you shall call a nation that you do not know, and a nation that did not know you shall run to you because of the Lord your God and of the Holy One of Israel, for he has glorified you. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord, that he may have compassion on him, and to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. Let's pray. Lord, we love your abundant pardoning through Christ, and we come to you in that light. And we are thirsty, and we are hungry, and we confess trying to, con- to quench our thirst and our, in our own strength, with our own concoctions. We confess to trying to fill our stomachs with our own spiritual recipes. We so desire satisfaction and will look too often everywhere but the one actual place we can find it, that's you and your word. Draw us again to yourself. Grow our faith in the finished work of our Savior and compel us to turn from our sins because of your grace to us through Christ. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, I want to begin just by giving you this heartfelt warning. I know whenever I bring a message, and it's God's message from his word about his people needing to be serious about his word, that it can come off as legalistic. Just go read your Bible and your life will get better. I, I, don't, I just hope you know it's more than that. You need that nutrition. That's what it is. It's not you need to check off a box. You did your devotions. It's you need the sustenance the word gives. And you and I, we live in a life, in a world that is so busy with stuff we're eating. We're taking it in. We're ingesting tons of stuff. It's not all bad on the surface, but it's not really giving us the nourishment, the soul nourishment we need. So know from the onset, I feel what you feel when you hear the preacher get ready to tell you you need to read the Bible more. No, I mean that you need to Feed upon your Savior and his word more. We all need it. This is timeless for the people of God. And it's certainly true for us with all the many things that we ingest, that we take in, that we spend time on. You know, there is uh, some great summer reading that I can recommend to you. 
Um, I like adventure novels. John Krakauer is one of my favorite authors for this. He's easy to read. You don't have to get too deep uh, intellectually to it. Just read it and enjoy the story. The first one that you want to read real quick in the next week is Into Thin Air, which is his book about his climb of Mount Everest and the disaster that happened when he did this. And I say that in the next couple of weeks because they're climbing the mountain right now and it'll, you'll get obsessed with that for a little while. But then move on to Into the Wild for your summer reading. And Into the Wild is a story about this guy who's a college student. 1990, he graduates from Emory University. Um, he decides he's sick of society, he's sick of all the encumbrances of it, and so he takes his $25,000 that his grandparents gave him and his parents gave him as his, his nest egg coming out of graduating from college, and he gives it to charities. He drives his little car to a flood basin that was due to flood within a few weeks. He parks it out in the middle of it, burns the last bit of money he has, and he goes out and he shakes off all of society in view and looking for enlightenment and discovery. Um, he wants to find something greater. And ultimately, he's building up because he wants to go to Alaska and make it in the wild. Now, he is as suburban as we all are here, right? Uh, he is going to go make it in Alaska. I mean, not middle Missouri, like Alaska. And so he, in two years, 1990, he graduates. Um, in the last 100 days of his life, you can see how it goes, the last hundred days of his life, we shouldn't be laughing at this, by the way. At any rate, I, the last hundred days of his life, he gets to this place where he gets a guy to drive him, drop him off um, at the beginning of a, of a road that's, that's paved by the parks department, but then it goes off into its own, into the wild. And he spends over a hundred days surviving, basically, he, he's living in this old abandoned bus that was there, uh, and he is going out and finding food every day by eating plants and vegetables and things that he finds. He even kills a moose with a twenty-two, which is very difficult to do, uh, I would imagine. And so he uh, can't even eat the whole thing because he doesn't know how to preserve the meat, and he has a terrible time surviving. But every day he's eating tons of food. I mean, he records everything he eats every day in a diary. And um, as it turns out, though, he takes a few pictures of himself, and this is way before selfies. I mean, this is 1992, yet he's able to take a couple pictures of himself. You can Google them, and you'll see Chris McCandless, and, and, and he gets skinnier and skinnier to the point where he is nothing but skin and bones. He's eating food. There's this long list of what he's eating. He thinks he's following the books and the survival stuff well enough, but he's starving the whole time. Um, it turns out that that's what he dies of, is starvation. Um, he probably eats some seeds towards the end when he was weakened that he shouldn't have eaten that made it worse. But the point is, you can eat a bunch of stuff and still die of starvation. I hope we realize. You could be really busy. You could have a bunch of things going on in your life that you think are really good. And they may be okay, but that's what you're eating. It's junk food that you're piling into yourself and you're starving spiritually, which is the most important uh, part of your demeanor, right? It's your, who you are uh, as a spiritual person dictates everything else. And we are starving ourselves even though we're eating all sorts of stuff. And so the gospel of Isaiah calls us to whatever the case may be, shake it off, move it off, lay it aside, and lay hold of Christ. Lay hold of God's servant. Rest in him. And now that you rest in him, feast upon him. Um, Ingest what he has for us. And that's what this call is for. And when you do that, when your diet changes, when you start eating what you should eat, then the other things in your life take their proper place. It doesn't mean it all goes, it just takes its proper place. Uh, Oreos may not be too bad if everything else 
that you're eating is healthy, right? You can have some of that. I mean, it has its place. Uh, But we're eating Oreos as our main course in this life and in this world too often, and that's why we find ourselves spiritually anemic, weak, and very, very sick oftentimes. You see a bit of the exasperation in the text before. You look at the second verse. Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread and your labor for that which does not satisfy? Remember, this is written to a people who are about to go into exile. They're already feeling the weight of the tariffs that the Babylonians put on them. They live in Israel, but to get food, they can't grow it themselves anymore. They have to buy it from the Babylonians. And everything's costly, nothing's that good, it doesn't satisfy, they have to work for it. And so in that context, you have, why do you spend your money for that which is not bread, and your labor for that which does not satisfy? Listen diligently to me. And eat what is good and delight yourselves in rich food. So there is a call here about God's people finding their sustenance in God. Not just right at the gospel level, but in everything. You feed upon Christ figuratively to receive him or to believe on him, to trust in him. And then you continue to grow by the word of God about Christ feeding you through all of your days. And it, it shapes the whole of your health, your soul's health, which is the most important health for us to be concerned with. Here God wants his people to be serious about their relationship with him, not so much junk food. God wants his people to stop wasting time and attention on things that do not matter. Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread and your labor for that which does not satisfy Later in the New Testament, Paul says something that will give us a bit of guidance when we think about what we should eat as good food. He says in Colossians 2, verse 8, See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit. According to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. If you want to know what junk food is, with food that doesn't satisfy, even some food could be poisonous. It would be philosophy and empty deceit. See to it that no one takes you captive by this. What is philosophy and empty deceit? That which is according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and here's the key, not according to Christ. You can ask yourself if the food's good or not, how does it relate to Christ? Because there are many things that could be um, on their own benign. How, How do we understand them through our relationship with Christ. That's the starting point. And you have to be eating that food to know how to interpret those things when they come before us. Really, the passage before us is an invitation to come and feast and live on the grace that comes from God and His Word. And His Word primarily reveals to us Christ. Verse 1 Come eat God's gracious food. It's free, by the way. Then the, the middle section Trust in God's Word for the nourishment you need. Come and eat, it's free, and guess what? It's just the rich nourishment you need. And then respond to what you now know, what you've now taken in. Look at verse 1, and we see this appeal to come and eat this free and rich food. Come, everyone who thirsts, who thirsts, everyone, come to the waters. Not just a little well for a bucket of water, but come to the waters. And he who has no money... Come and buy and eat. I don't know about you, but when I have no money, I don't think about going to eat anywhere. What can I do? I, I, the things I want, I have to have money for. And I don't, not God and his word. You come 
You come and it's free. Come, buy and eat. Come, buy wine and milk without money, without price. In other words, don't, get, don't take this wrong. It's costly stuff you're getting. But you're getting it for free because it's been purchased for you. It's not cheap. It's very costly. You just didn't pay the cost. So come and take it now. Come. Many metaphors in the Bible to describe spiritual food and nourishment. God loves to use this term. Why? Because it's, it's a basic human need, food and water. And although it's true, we have so much in this country, not many of us go very long, uh, especially speaking for myself, without uh, you know, really experiencing the sensation of, of thirst or the sensation of actual thunder, uh, hunger. Not many. I mean, we're so wonderfully blessed here. But the world over, people live days thirsty, days hungry. And so this kind of metaphor would really resonate. I mean, they need the next meal to get through the day. And so they understand the importance of sustenance. And God's saying that him, he and his word, it's like that sustenance. That's what you need. That's what we need. Um, we lose a bit of this because of how much we have, I think. We, we forget our desperation for the true food of the word. And, and so we can go a long time with a lot, of, a lot of empty deceit and vain philosophy or sentiments or nice ideas. And we just live along that way because we, we, we don't feel the threat of it and that emptiness very often. But there's no question in the word, the thoroughgoing metaphor for God's word in himself is food. Listen to a few of these metaphors. In Job 23, one of the oldest characters in the Bible, Abraham's time no less. He's talking to God and says, I have not departed from the commandment of his lips. I have treasured the words of his mouth more than my portion of food. So the word of God was more important to Job than actual food. That's one metaphor. Of course, in Deuteronomy 8, a passage you're probably familiar with, man does not live by bread alone, but man lives by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. In close connection to food is the word of God. Sustenance. We need his word to be nourished, to grow, to be healthy. In Psalm 23, what does he promise? What does the good shepherd promise us? You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. We'll dine, we'll eat in front of you. You'll be so secure, we'll eat. There's a, a connection between God's presence now and eating. Psalm 34, verse 8, Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Jeremiah three fifteen, a prophet not too long after Isaiah. And I will give you shepherds or preachers or teachers. I will give you shepherds after my own heart who will feed you with knowledge and understanding. That's, that's my job. That's the elder's job. That's the job of pastors is to feed people and not just anything. We are to feed you God's word. That's what you need for nourishment. Not my word, God's word, that's what you need. Jeremiah 15, verse 16. Your words were found, and I ate them. Your words became to me a joy and a delight of my heart. The metaphor between food and the word. We need food to live. We need God's word for our soul's life. In Amos, chapter 8, verse 11. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord God, when I will send a famine on the land. Not a famine of bread, nor a thirst for water, but of hearing the words of the Lord. They won't have access to the word and they'll feel the famine. John chapter 4. I was thinking as, as Aaron was preaching last week how closely connected this metaphor is. Jesus talking to that woman at the well. 
Jesus said to her, everyone who drinks of this water, the water in the well, will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up into eternal life. Water and food closely connected to the presence of God and the word of God. Later in John 4, 34, the same chapter, Jesus said to them, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. Jesus quotes Deuteronomy 8 in Matthew 4, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. And who does he say it to? The devil who's trying to tempt him with his word, with his ideas. And Jesus responds with God's word. I am sustained by God and his word. John chapter 6, verse 35. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. Later, John 7, he stood up and cried out, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Those words that Jesus spoke to Peter are so powerful. After the resurrection, after Peter denied Jesus, after he... Uh, failed so miserably, he's restored by Christ, and Christ says, after they finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And Jesus responds, feed my lambs. Feed them what? Feed them God and his word. Paul writing to the Corinthians, brothers, I, brothers, could not address you as spiritual people, but as people of the flesh. Why are they people of the flesh? Why would he call them this? As infants in Christ. Why? I fed you with milk, not solid food, for you were not ready for it. Now, it's okay to receive milk when you're new in the the Lord. But as time goes on, you move from, from milk to meat. That's the point of the metaphor. Again, what is this? It's the Word of God. It's God and His Word, and we need it for sustenance. Hebrews chapter 5, for though... Uh, By this time, you ought to be teachers. You need someone to teach you again the basic principles of the oracles of God. You need milk, not solid food. Later in Hebrews, you've tasted the goodness of the word of God and the powers of the ages to come. Now, why am I spending so much time repeating verses to you? Why is it that most of us will not crack our Bibles this week? Please don't think, Tony, don't read another verse about food and the substance of the Bible. We know them. I I know. But why are we not cracking our Bibles more? Why are we not into his word? Why are we not looking? Why why are we, we have more habits that, again, on their own may not be, but we spend more time with habits that we may have or traditions or things we do Does it not make sense this should be one of them? In Revelation, behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him and he with me. Now, back to the verse, verse 1. Come, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters, and he who has no money, come buy and eat. Come buy buy wine and milk without money and without price. Come to God and his word. Come to the Christ who has been described already through chapter 53 and into where we are now. Come to him and and feast upon him. Verse 2. What can we do? 
What can we count on with this word? We can trust in his word for the nourishment we need. Here's a bit of a descriptor of what is promised to us by his word. Verse 2. Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread and your labor for that which does not satisfy? Here it is. Listen diligently to me and eat what is good. We know what we should eat, that which Isaiah is feeding, right? He's feeding God. He's feeding the gospel. He's feeding God's will, his word. Listen diligently to me and eat what is good and delight yourselves in rich food. Notice what it says. It's not, it's not tasteless food or food with no nutritional value or no sustenance. Not at all. It's rich what God has for us. People will look for their sustenance elsewhere, which is a total waste of time ultimately. They try to find answers somewhere other than God, and they are not satisfied, whether it be philosophy, religions, substances, other beings, experiences. But that food on its own is devoid of nutrition, and you actually starve if that's your main meal. You under, only understand those things in the right place, in the right practice, through the main meal of God and his word. Please hear what I'm saying. It may be not that we have to change a bunch of things, but we have to see them differently, and that will happen as we eat the right food. It just will. And we'll see that in the closing verses of our section in a bit. The word of God is rich, nutritious, and provides real strength and health. Verse 3, incline your ear and come to me. Hear that your soul may live. And I will make with you an everlasting covenant my steadfast, sure love for David. So now he's going from the metaphor of food to come and listen and hear. He's saying, take in what I'm saying, ingest what I'm saying. Hear that your soul may live. And I will make with you an everlasting covenant my steadfast, sure love for David. He's referring to his commitment to his people, typified in the person of David, to make a people miraculously, supernaturally his own. How will he do it? By the deposit, the payment he makes in Isaiah 53 through Christ. David is a picture of God's everlasting love and his promise. Think of David. I mean, he is like us in so many ways, fallen and flawed. But God calls him out and saves him. God raises up David, a picture of God's grace. Um, This weakling who can take on a giant to begin his career as king or king to come. A testimony to his grace. The way that God gave David victory over armies he had no business defeating is a testimony to God's undeserved favor towards David. The way that God gave David devotion to him was evidence also. But even how he gave David repentance when he was caught in sin shows God's grace. I mean, the picture of David isn't like we we want to be like David. It's a picture of God's grace to someone like us who didn't deserve it but got it. And that's what he brings us into. And we come to him and we take it and we ingest it. And we never get sick of it. We always want more of it because we recognize that is where real spiritual health comes from. Behold, I made him. This is verse 4 talking about David. I made him a witness to the peoples. A witness to what? A witness to God's gracious commitment. A leader and a commander for the peoples. Behold, you shall call a nation that you do not know. And a nation that did not know you shall run to you because of the Lord your God and of the Holy One of Israel, for he has glorified you. Because of his gracious hand upon them, they need to look to his graciousness revealed through David, who is a picture of the greater David. 
And as they do this, God will make them more renowned. He'll use them in a way that will express his glory about his covenant so that all the nations will be blessed. Now, most immediately, um, they didn't know of Persia yet. Persia would, the Medes and the Persians would basically come together to defeat the Babylonians, who were their immediate threat. And they would utilize the people of God to go reestablish the Holy Land, not even really knowing fully what they were doing, which set the stage for the great servant of Jehovah to come and fulfill the thing that was promised. So using Israel at this time and the nations around, shaping all things to come together to bring David's greater son. And then from that place, it just busts open. I mean, Jesus does his work He ascends into heaven, sends the spirit in the tribes and the tongues to hear the gospel, and that's where we're living now. People are still hearing and coming to Christ through his word going forth. Behold, you shall call a nation that you do not know, and a nation that did not know you shall run to you because of the Lord your God and the Holy One of Israel, for he has glorified you. Brothers and sisters, here's the thing. Lots of stuff to eat. Please. Don't eat the lies constantly and expect to come out thinking straight. Don't constantly fill your head with everything but God's word first and then think it's going to go well for you. Fill your mind and your heart and your head and your life with God's word. And then as you come across these things, you can interpret them properly. You don't need a list of do's and don'ts. Just know the food. When the food's in you, right, and you're healthy, right, you'll recognize when it's bad food or you'll recognize other stuff. You'll be healthy enough to lift up your head and strength and say, that's not right. But when you're in the stuff that's not that right and you're ingesting it, it just clouds everything, and we've got to be honest about that. What are we taking a steady diet of? Be honest and think about what that means. Don't believe untruth. Don't fill your head with falsehood and empty sentiments. God serves us rich and nutritious food that never, ever gets old to the taste. Verse 6 and 7 form kind of a climax of this section. As I mentioned, there'll be the beginning verses next week that go into the conclusion of the chapter. But you can see how it builds to this. So if we come and take that which is free, which is God, his word, his gospel, his savior, we take him, we feed upon him and all that means and all its impact in our life. Now, we want to respond to what the word says, and that's going to call people who have been believers to... uh, cast off things that are besetting us, that are weighing us down, that are encumbering us. It'll call some who are not believers to come to Christ for the first time because they recognize the only thing that can free them from their sin, the sin that's killing them, is Christ. It's a beautiful thing, no matter how it's applied, either of those two ways. So if you're an old believer or you're brand new, perfect, just for you. What's coming next? It says, seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Wait a minute, is he not near sometime? Is he not found sometime? That doesn't matter. He can be found right now. That's the point. Right now, if you're hearing this, you can respond to this. Um, That's exactly the point of the urgency of the word, that that here it is, you're hearing it, you're being tweaked, you're being stirred. Either you're totally numb to this, or you're getting this, and you're saying there's something here for me to lay hold of. I've got to take more in of what God is and who he is and less in of everything else. And God is speaking to me through his word right now on this level. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Then it says, let the wicked forsake his way. How can the wicked forsake his way? How can I forsake my way, which is wicked on its own? I've got to taste and see that the Lord is good. I've got to taste of his salvation. I've got to taste of him 
in his word. That's how I can begin to forsake my wicked way. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord that he may have compassion on him and to our God for he will abundantly pardon. Maybe this is the day for you believer to finally get rid of that sin that is dragging you down, that's besetting you, that you keep making excuses for. Here's our opportunity. Here it is. Do you find God stirring you? Do you find your soul tweaked by what has been said? Have you been putting off repentance? Have you been clinging to that sin that besets you? Don't delay. Come to him now. Don't make excuses. Don't assume you have a second chance. Don't assume that you have another opportunity. I think the gist of this passage is powerful for us. God wants his people to stop dawdling spiritually. I love dawdling. I've taken up that word since I've become a parent. Dilly-dallying and dawdling. You know what I'm talking about, parents? Um, Dawdling means to move lackadaisically. Maybe you've been spiritually lackadaisical or you've been dawdling spiritually. Uh, God does not want his people to delay, to procrastinate, to lag, to loiter, or to daily spiritually. These things mean to move or act slowly so as to fall behind. Usually implies a putting off of something. They imply blameworthiness or a blameworthy delay, especially through laziness or apathy. Maybe it's laziness we have to be honest about. Laziness about going after spiritual food. Not taking every opportunity to digest, to ingest and digest God in his word. Loiter and dawdly mean delay while in progress, especially in walking. But dawdle more clearly suggests an aimless wasting of time. Dallying suggests delaying through trifling or vacillation when promptness is necessary. You know, when promptness is necessary. God has provided us with a redeemed life through Christ. He's giving us his spiritual food through his word. I love what Ray Ortland, a pastor, said about this passage when he preached through it. Don't just sit there thinking about this, theorizing, hesitating, making excuses. Get up. Come over here. I have rich spiritual privilege prepared for you, says God to you. Buy in, though someone else has already paid your bill. So brothers and sisters, very bluntly with you who I love, all of you, whether it be food, drink, substance, sex, a relationship that is causing you to drop in your spiritual health or maybe causing you to sin, an attitude that you harbor that is sinful and dragging other people down, anger with God that you have, because things aren't just like you think they should be. Gossiping about others. Maybe you're being an unfaithful friend. Maybe you're in the mode of blaming other people for your problems and feelings. Maybe you're being a nagging, bitter, demanding wife. Maybe you're being an unloving, unkind, uh, terribly selfish, impatient husband. Maybe you're making all sorts of excuses about why you're not kicking this or that habit. You keep putting off that sin or those sins that are besetting you. It could be selfishness, it could be self-centeredness, the constant striving after the next sensual experience, whatever it is. Verse 6 says to you, to me, seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord that he may have compassion on him and to our God for he will abundantly pardon. This is our moment that God calls us to when we hear his word preached to respond. In his spirit, 
will move us towards repentance. You know, it's a funny thing I find in my own life. I know I should go to the doctor every year. But whenever I get ready to go, I think to myself, he's going to tell me I've got to lose weight, and my, my blood pressure is too high, and they're always connected, right? So you know what? I'll wait a little while. I'll lose a little weight so he doesn't tell me that. And guess what? Yeah, you know how that works, right? Exactly. Don't wait till you lose weight to go to the doctor. Don't wait to repent. Come to him now. That's what he's saying. To you, to me, to us. People he loves. He's adopted. The last words of the Bible, we should not be surprised, are very much like the, bi- the words in the middle of the Bible, which, by the way, happen to be exactly like the words at the beginning of the Bible. Listen to what it says in Revelation chapter 22. Blessed are those who wash their robes so that they may have the right to the tree of life and that they may enter the city by the gates. Outside are the dogs and sorcerers and the sexually immoral and the murderers and idolaters and everyone who loves and practices falsehood. I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify to you about these things for the churches. I am the root and the descendant of David, the bright and morning star. The spirit and the bride say, come. The spirit and the bride say, come. And let the one who hears say, come. And let the one who is thirsty come. Let the one who desires take the water of life without price. Let's bow together as I lead us in prayer. Heavenly Father, please whet our appetite afresh for your satisfying, rich, sustaining food. Quench our thirst again with the water of life that only Jesus can give. Lord, we confess that we have tasted so much junk food that we have lost discernment often day, many days about what actually gives us life and strength. I pray for your people. I pray for us, O oh Lord, that you would help us flee those things with, which sap time and energy and take away from the feeding on your food that we so desperately need. Lord, we thank you for the grace that you've saved us by. We know we are your children by faith in Christ. Lord, help us to live lives that show your redemption, that show your glory because of the transformation you are working through the nourishment that you are providing by yourself and your word. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.